For more than a year now, proponents of the so-called lab leak hypothesis of the origin of COVID-19 have been smeared as kooks and conspiracy theorists. But over the past few weeks, the theory has gained some real mainstream traction, including from tough experts. So what does this sudden about face say about our experts and the American media and the consensus science that we've been held to all year? Well, I'll answer that question in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Okay, let's dive into what was being said about where COVID came from. You have to remember where we've come from to understand the full scope here of the dishonesty, of the wrongness around this issue. And here we have conspiracy headlines. This was from last year. NPR, scientists debunk lab accident theory of pandemics emergence. CNN, Anthony Fauci just crushed Donald Trump's theory on the origins of the coronavirus. Guardian, ignore the conspiracy theory. Scientists know COVID-19 wasn't created in a lab. They know it was not created in a lab. That's what they say. And, uh, oh, Washington Post here said, uh, Cotton acknowledged, this is because Senator Tom Cotton was another proponent early on of the lab leak theory. Here's what they were saying. Cotton acknowledged there's no evidence that the disease originated at the lab. Instead, he suggested it's necessary to ask Chinese authorities about the possibility fanning the embers of a conspiracy theory that has been repeatedly debunked by experts. Debunked! A conspiracy theory! Proven untrue! Only crazies believe it! And if you needed a little more of this consensus, none other than Dr. Fake Consensus himself, Fauci, was saying this back in May of 2020. If you look at the evolution of the virus in bats and what's out there now, it's very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. If it was in the wild and evolving, the likelihood it jumped species naturally, someone will say, well, maybe somebody took it from the wild, put it in the lab, and then it escaped from the lab. But that means it was in the wild to begin with. <laughs> so that's why I don't get what they're talking about. If it isn't manipulated in the lab, and you're trying to say it escaped from the lab, then how did it get in the lab? Right. That's where gain-of-function research would come in. That's where manipulating the virus, which, oh, well, let's just get to what Fauci is saying now. How about this? Instead of me debating Dr. Fauci, because he's the great expert, right? And what do I know? I'm just some guy with a radio and a TV show. Um, let's have Fauci debate Fauci, because here's what he said earlier this month. There's a lot of cloudiness around the origins of COVID-19 still. Um, so I wanted to ask, are you still confident that it developed naturally? I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. I'm not convinced. Wait a second. I, I thought everything had been debunked. I thought only conspiracy theorists talk about the lab leak. I mean, I, I showed you all those big, important, serious media outlets that said case closed, came from the wild, just just zoonotic transmission from animals to people just kind of happened. 
just sort of happened. The fact that there were some cases of this found right near the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which happened to be studying bat coronaviruses and therefore concentrating samples of those viruses and what we now believe to be far substandard safety precautions, uh, that is supposed to be a coincidence you ignore. They, they talk about the wet market like this is some secret special wet market. No, there are wet markets. In fact, they're all over China. So it just so happened to be at this one, right, right near this one facility, huh? Well, that's why Fauci now is saying he's not convinced that it's naturally occurring. You could also note that earlier on when he was talking about it, he didn't really have a whole lot of imagination or even expertise, it seems, when discussing it. A virus that is naturally occurring in nature does not necessarily have any interaction with human beings. And a virus that is then concentrated in a laboratory setting where there will be people and that is manipulated in a laboratory setting creates a much greater risk, doesn't it? Yes, indeed it does. And if the virus was naturally occurring and it was a mutation just from some cave somewhere where there were bats dwelling in China, why, why haven't we been able to prove that link then? Why haven't we been able to show who got infected near or at that cave, because we have been able to show they were infected near the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In fact, it's, uh, it's even more clear than that from the recent evidence. Here's just, just to note, former FDA chief Scott Gottlieb, who his role is to go on TV as an expert who tells you whichever way the consensus is shifting. So he's certain, so long as that's what all the so-called smart people are saying that they're certain of, and then the moment that changes, then he's certain of something else, but all of a sudden, he's much more open to the circumstantial cases, he calls it, that COVID may have originated in a lab. Play five. I think the challenge right now is that the, uh, the side of the ledger that supports the thesis that this came from a zoonotic source, from an animal source, hasn't budged. And the side of the ledger that suggested this could have come out of a lab has been continuing to grow. So people a year ago who said, well, this probably came from nature, it's really unlikely it came from a lab. Maybe a year ago, that kind of a statement made a lot of sense because that was the more likely scenario. But we haven't found the intermediate host. We found no evidence of this virus in an animal anywhere. So I think the, the ledger on the side of the lab continues to grow. And the question for a lot of people is going to be when are too many coincidences too much? Yes. When is the circumstantial case the only believable case? Because otherwise you'd have to be a coincidence theorist. Seems like we're getting closer to that now. We're not quite there. See, we shouldn't take the perspective. We shouldn't take the approach that so many did on this issue for so long, which is to say that you claim you have consensus and certainty when you don't. Or you could have consensus, but you certainly don't have certainty. That's been a problem all along. What is the part of the circumstantial case of the lab leak theory of COVID-19 that you need to hear about because it seems to be pretty important? Wall Street Journal over the weekend, three researchers from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick enough in November 2019 they sought hospital care, according to a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report. The details of the reporting go beyond a State Department fact sheet issued during the final days of the Trump administration, which said that several researchers at the lab, a center for the study of coronaviruses and other pathogens, became sick in autumn 2019 with symptoms consistent with COVID-19 and common seasonal illness. 
Now, they can try to explain this away by saying, oh, well, it could have been the flu. It could have been a really bad cold, and that's why they went to the hospital. These are virus uh, researchers. I think they'd know if they were sick enough that they really needed to go to the hospital. And so why was this happening right before the major outbreak and then the global spread of the virus? That's what you would at least call an indicator. It's certainly a clue. It seems to be, if not evidence, uh, a signpost of sorts, something worth further investigation. But what is the plan to look into this? to continue to leave the World Health Organization at the forefront. Of course, that's what the Biden administration wants to do. But we don't have the answers here. That's one very important takeaway. We do not know. But another important point to make here is that people said they knew and were sure when they did not and should not have been. And they were the same people telling you about lockdowns being a great idea and double masking and single masking and washing your groceries with Lysol. They fake certainty to get you to obey. And then later on you say, hold on a second. Couldn't we have had an open and honest discussion about this? There's a lesson there, folks, a big one for this country. All right, many questions remain unanswered as to the true origin of COVID-19. Only one country has all of the answers, China. After the break, Gordon Chang joins us to discuss the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to stonewall any investigation of the lab leak theory. Stay right there. If you've ever thought about investing in real estate, I want you to take me up on this recommendation right now. Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out yet, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system flat out works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday hardworking Americans like you and me to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't possibly tell you in strong enough terms during the 60 second commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For You Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company as a client, in my own words. I'll tell you about it in detail, from picking the city to the house, getting the broker set up, the loan, even getting a tenant in place, so I get that free cash flow coming to me now every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We need to know what happened here. The Chinese Communist Party knows what happened here. They know who patient zero was. They know precisely where this began. These three individuals who became sick, the symptoms were consistent with what someone would get 
that would be, be symptomatic of if they had COVID-19, the Wuhan virus. We need to get to the bottom of this because this could happen again. They're still conducting research in these same laboratories today. It's being done in ways that were similar to what happened back over a year ago. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo responding to the recent Wall Street Journal report, which revealed that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology were hospitalized in November of 2019 with symptoms consistent with COVID-19. Seems that nearly every step of the way the Chinese Communist Party has sought to deceive the international community, first downplaying the severity of the disease and then stonewalling efforts to uncover its origin. While the genesis of the disease is still uncertain, our next guest says that whether it came from a lab or not, China is ultimately responsible for the millions who've perished in this pandemic. Joining me now is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the great U.S.-China tech war, Gordon Chang. Also follow him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, great to see you. Thank you so much, Buck. So let's just take some of the, the comments here from the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. First off, his, his assertion here that China knows who patient zero is and knows a lot more than they've told us. As someone who watches this very closely, Gordon, what can you tell us about your sense of that? I think this former Secretary of State is correct. When the World Health Organization mission went to Wuhan in January and February of this year, they asked for all sorts of raw patient data, including about those 174 cases. Beijing refused to turn it over. And I think that's an indication that China knows a hell of a lot more than it is saying. And indeed, without that patient data, we won't be able to track down the source of this disease. I think that's exactly Beijing's motivation. Make sure we don't learn how this thing started. And Gordon, what about the the concern that this research, I mean, is it is it feasible that the, the Chinese Communist Party would allow gain-of-function research, uh, the, the kind of vir uh, virus research that, that people have been saying was going on in the Wuhan laboratory uh, to begin with? Could this still be going on elsewhere? Do we know if it's continuing on elsewhere inside of Chinese borders? Well, I'm sure that it, it is, Buck, Buck but I, I don't actually have uh, direct information on that. We do know that they were conducting in a number of locations gain of function research because, for instance, that grant from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Fauci's uh, branch of the NIH, actually was funding research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And we know from papers that have been written that that was gain of function uh, experimentation. So. Um, clearly, it was going on then. Um, we know that China has a biological weapons program. So, yes, of course, it's going on. But for the last three or four months, there's been, uh, at least in the open sources, no indication. And, uh, Gordon, we had the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki weigh in today on how they still believe the World Health Organization, this White House thinks the World Health Organization should be in charge. Wanted to have you react to these comments from the West Wing. 589,920 dead Americans. At what point does President Biden say, we don't want to wait for the WHO, we don't know what they're doing. This needs to be an American-led effort to get to the bottom of what happened. Well, first of all, we need access to the underlying data and information in order to have that investigation. And, and why not? But he talks all the time about how he's known President Xi for a long time. So why can't he just call and, and we need and them. him for that information? I think you're misunderstanding how this process actually works. An international investigation led by the World Health Organization is something that we've actually been pressing for for several months. 
I mean, Gordon, are we ever going to get real answers if we're relying on the WHO to be in charge? No, uh, I just don't think the organization is built to do that. It is dominated by China. China is never going to permit that. We have seen now three WHO missions to Wuhan, two in 2020 and one this year. And none of them has uncovered anything of real value. They've, they've been dominated by the Chinese side of these teams. And, and clearly Beijing is not allowing anyone from the WHO any real access. You know, at this particular time, you know, Jen Psaki is right in the sense that uh, we couldn't conduct this investigation on our own. But we do have a lot of information that has not been declassified. The Biden administration can do that. But also, we know, regardless of how this disease started, we know that Xi Jinping deliberately spread this beyond his borders because there is open source information to show that they were lying about contagiousness and they were forcing countries to accept arrivals from China while they were locking down their own country. You put those two things together, Buck, there is no other explanation. China deliberately spread this disease beyond its borders. When you say deliberately spread, Gordon, I mean, that's obviously something that gets a lot, a lot of attention. What, what is the full evidence, the full, the full uh, argument we can, you could make in favor of that? And why would the Chinese do that? Well, uh, we know that Beijing uh, only formally uh, announced transmissibility, human-to-human -human transmissibility, on January 20 of last year. But doctors in Wuhan knew no later than the second week of December that this was highly contagious. Now, if Beijing had said nothing during those five weeks, uh, and they probably knew earlier, but if they had said nothing during those five weeks, that would have been grossly irresponsible. But we also know that they told the international community it was not contagious. There's the January 9th statement from the WHO, plus the infamous January 14th tweet, which are based on information from China, that it was not a contagious disease. And then, as I mentioned, Xi Jinping was pressuring countries to take passengers from China while he was locking down Wuhan and surrounding cities. That meant by locking down, he felt he was stopping the spread of the disease, which means he knew that he was spreading the disease by having Chinese passengers go around the world. So there, it's just inescapable. Um, this was a deliberate attempt. And the reason why? Well, I guess he saw his own country crippled, so he wanted to level the playing field. I suppose so. I don't know what was in Xi Jinping's mind. But we do know that they have this uh, doctrine of comprehensive national power, ranking countries. China's goal is to be number one. And the way you get to be number one is you either strengthen your own country or you weaken everybody else. And China was weakening everybody else by spreading the disease. Gordon, what do you think the administration's response should be, this uh, Biden administration, if in fact the, the evidence, even if it's circumstantial, becomes irrefutable that this came from a lab because of Chinese, uh, Chinese research on gain of function and, and bat viruses, uh, coronaviruses, what do you think the Biden administration should do? Well, because we're now talking about 590,000 American dead, um, we should be imposing the most severe costs on Beijing. And, you know, even if you don't care about compensation or justice, we have to establish deterrence. We cannot allow China to think that they can spread the next pathogen. And remember, Buck, uh, China's working on pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune and sicken everybody else. This comes from a 2017 publication of China's National Defense University that talks about, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. So we're talking about the survival of our country here. 
So, yeah, I think we should be cutting off trade. We should be cutting off investment. We certainly should be cutting off technical cooperation. We got to start defending ourselves. Gordon Chang, follow him at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon, thanks so much. Thank you, Buck. As anti-Semitic attacks continue around the country, many Democrats are finally coming out and condemning Islamophobia. Seriously. After the break, we have senior contributor to The Federalist, Ben Weingarten, going to be with us to discuss the rise in violence and the political response. Trust me on this one. Go to this website right now, preparewiththefirst.com. It's a special website set up by our friends at My Patriot Supply. Every day it seems like things are getting worse out there. The best way to have peace of mind is to stockpile emergency food and water. My Patriot Supply is America's leading preparedness company, and they're here to help you become self-reliant no matter what happens next. But you can't wait for something bad to happen, then react. You need to act now before we see a stock market crash, hyperinflation, civil unrest, a pandemic again. My Patriot Supply has been in business for over a dozen years, serving millions of families and earning 39,000 four and five star reviews. Their food is specially packaged to stay fresh for up to 25 years. So when you prepare today, it will be there when you need it. Right now, save $50 on their four week emergency food kit at preparewiththefirst.com. The meals are delicious and provide 2,000 calories per day. No other brand comes close. That's preparewiththefirst.com, preparewiththefirst.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. There's been a surge in anti-Semitic attacks across the U.S. as tensions flare over the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Earlier today, President Biden addressed the latest hate crimes, tweeting, The recent attacks on the Jewish community are despicable and they must stop. 
I condemn this hateful behavior at home and abroad. It's up to all of us to give hate no safe harbor. Hmm. This is Democrats in his own party grow increasingly divided over the conflict in the Middle East. Joining now to discuss senior contributor at The Federalist, Benjamin Weingarten. Ben, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Buck, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It seems that there's a separation here given the, the surge in anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic attacks here in the U.S. that the top of the Democrat Party seems to, to do the pro forma hate against the Jewish community is wrong. But within the Democrat Party, notably some members of Congress, notably the squad among those in Congress, uh, there seems to be a tolerance of some pretty vile, certainly anti-Israeli, and I think many would argue anti-Semitic rhetoric. So why this, this double game that's being played? Well, I think you have to look past the rhetoric and look at the actual substance of the Biden administration and, to your point, the Democratic Party that he represents. The entire premise of the Biden administration foreign policy with respect to the Middle East is essentially to make Iran the world's leading state sponsor of jihad, which in rhetoric and actions has shown that it's dedicated to perpetrating a genocide in Israel. The linchpin of his entire Middle East plan is to make Iran the dominant player there, go back into a longer and stronger supposedly Iran nuclear deal, which essentially just legitimizes their nuclear program, gives them tens of billions of dollars. And of course, Hamas itself is backed by Iran. Hamas, of course, the jihadist group that's been leveling these attacks against Israel, which started this most recent round of infighting. So uh, look, look to the, the actions, not the rhetoric, and then also look at the personnel that the Biden administration has put in. And at various levels within the bureaucracy, he's put in folks who are virulently at very best anti-Zionist, but the reality, of course, is anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and it's being proven out on the streets of America from New York to Miami to Los Angeles and beyond right now. And the Democratic Party should own that because the Democratic Party has legitimized dozens of members of its progressive caucus in particular, promoted them into serious positions in the national security and foreign policy space. And this is really about, at the end of the day, America's national interest, and progressives believe America's national interest is essentially repudiating Judeo-Christian Western civilization. That's what this is about at the end of the day. They want to empower our worst adversaries. Uh, ben, why is it that there are some uh, Democrats, notably, for example, Bernie Sanders, who is, he is Jewish, he was born and raised in Brooklyn, and yet speaks in really, uh, in, in clear condemnation of Israel and Israeli violence and not of Hamas, and not certainly of, of the rocket attacks and, and Palestinian uh, violence that we've seen here in recent weeks. How does that happen? I mean, how is there room for that in the Democratic Party? But, but also, where does that come from within the American Jewish community? Yeah, so let's start with the latter question first. A seemingly baffling question on its face. And I think the most simplistic answer to it is that to those people who identify as Jewish and then hold dear uh, this essentially coddling of Islamist adversaries the world over who are the worst enemies of the Jews that there are in the world. The very simplistic Occam's razor explanation is that they, for some of these individuals, and maybe Bernie Sanders is among them, equate their religion with progressivism. Essentially, they read progressivism into Judaism, their understanding of justice 
in Judaism is social justice. And consequently, they're able to kind of use this shape-shifting progressivism to make it such that, well, the, the Arab movement in the Middle East against this tiny New Jersey-sized state of Israel represents the underdog and the oppressed. And somehow the Israelis, many of whom emerged from the Holocaust with barely the clothes on their back to form a state which has become a thriving liberal democracy in the Middle East, they're somehow the oppressors par excellence. And there's an old joke about how the European anti-Semites, it's this disturbing joke, but they'll never forgive the Jews for the Holocaust. And unfortunately, that's where most of the progressives are. If you look at critical race theory and sort of cultural Marxism, they have equated sort of the same thing of the white supremacist oppressors in the U.S. with amazingly Israelis being the white supremacist right wing oppressors par excellence in the Middle East. And you see that in Bernie Sanders's rhetoric when he talks about right wing racists in the Netanyahu government in Israel. We've got a, a number of uh, wanted to show some, some data here for the numbers of anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. 193 reports tax on Jews in the week after the Middle East crisis began, up from 131 the previous week, up 47% in one week. Ben, uh, do you think that there's a, uh, a kind of schizophrenia in the media when it comes to covering these things? They, they seem to, to talk about wanting to stop hate, but then they also don't want to focus too much just on the hate against Jews, even though that's what we're seeing going on in these videos on the streets. And so they'll talk about hate crime spiking, but then immediately it turns into a conversation about all hate, AAPI hate, you know, uh, trans community hate, all, all these different things, as if they don't really want to spend time on the anti-Semitism that we actually have video of from what's been going on in recent days and weeks. Yeah, it's as if it doesn't count when it comes to Jews. And, and I think that's in part because they know that it's politically very damaging to them when they claim to be progressives and then they're siding with the most repressive, um, misogynistic, bigoted, uh, truly apartheid state loving Islamists in the Middle East. And then of course, people here who share their same repressive, regressive worldview. And it is remarkable if you just, I'd, I'd, I'd urge all of your viewers and listeners, just take a look at the FBI hate crime statistics every year for the last two decades. And you see by far, if not a majority, then very close to a majority of religiously rooted hate crimes come against the Jewish population, which is such a small percentage of America. It's so outsized relative to the number here, but it just, for the media, it doesn't count because it's the Jews and, and they're portrayed as being somehow, again, the oppressors as opposed to the people who face this bigotry. Uh, and, and, you know, to the broader point, the Democratic Party has normalized and legitimized this behavior. There's something called that Natan Sharansky, who is a Israeli minister, came up with the 3D test of anti-Semitism. It's holding, holding Jews to a double standard, delegitimizing the state of Israel and demonizing. And you see that played out pretty much every single day in our media, very thinly veiled. But the Democratic Party itself has, has swallowed this completely. They have made their bed essentially with this progressive Islamist nexus. I published a book last year called American Ingrate, Ilhan Omar and the Progressive Islamist Takeover of the Democratic Party. And I said that because the progressives have adopted these views and, and the party itself from leadership on down, Nancy Pelosi and others have accepted this unholy alliance within their party. They own it. And, and unfortunately, I think they believe that they have to adopt it because that's where they think all the political power is. And look at where our schools are. Look at where wokeism is in this country. I fear they may be right. 
And that's terrible for America's national interest. It's not just a Jewish thing or a Christian thing or a Muslim thing. It transcends religion. It comes down to the fate ultimately of our country and the West itself. Always astute and insightful, my friend Ben Weingarten. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, Buck. Many colleges and universities are planning on reopening for in-person learning this coming fall, but with strict rules and regulations to prevent the spread of COVID, including on vaccinations. After the break, we'll take a closer look at some of those ridiculous rules in store for returning students with the Federalists' Evita Duffy. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's the end of May, which means colleges and universities across the country are closing out another semester. But for over a year now, most college students have been barred from in-person learning. And for those who want to return to campus in the fall, universities have implemented communist-style COVID rules and regulations mandating that students be vaccinated. Well, at least some of them are. Some of them aren't. What's going on here? Evita Duffy, contributor at The Federalist, has been following this growing push for college vaccine passports. She joins us now to discuss how absurd they really are. Evita, good to see you. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. In your recent article, you laid out reasons why students and their parents have a right to object to this violation of medical liberty. Let's get into that and more here. But first, what is the status of vaccination requirements from from state to state, college to college right now? What can you tell us about where it stands? So most schools are mandating vaccines for the fall um, um, next school year. But some states actually uh, it's illegal to have a vaccine passport for students in places like Florida um, and in places like Texas and Utah, it looks like. So um, some conservative states are banning vaccine passports, but many like the state I'm in in Illinois, there's no chance of that. And so students are really at the mercy of these bureaucratic overblown administrators at universities and colleges across America. So it's state to state. Red states have fewer colleges and universities in them so far. And we actually can show everyone at home a graphic that there are some statewide COVID vaccination rules for all public colleges and universities. That's in, uh, let's see, Maryland, Massachusetts, uh, or no, Maryland, uh, yes, Massachusetts, New York, California. So the very blue states are requiring it. Uh, Some states are not allowing a vaccine requirement. You have that in Texas, in Florida, and then a religious exemption is in place for vaccine and others. So, so religious exemption, it seems, Evita, is almost like the voting present here because the religious exemption is a pre-existing situation for vaccines in a lot of places. So they're just saying that they're, they're not adjusting the rules. Do I, do I have that right? They're just going to stay with what they've got. So I'm sorry, are you asking, like, are, are they not going to allow religious exemption? No, I'm asking the religious exemption is, is that that's just a continuation of pre-existing state policy as I understand it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's something that's very, very standard um, and, and usually allowed, especially because these are emergency use vaccines. They're not regular FDA approved vaccines. Um, so there are a lot of different rules that go along with them. So my school on their website, they say that they have a medical and religious liberty exemption, um, but the, the guidelines for that or how you can go through that process is still unknown. Some schools are saying you need to have a documentation. I'm not sure how you can document um, your religious liberty exemption. Um, so it's, it's really a lot of questions and a lot of things are just up in the air right now. Now. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, so a religious exemption would would do they do they, they didn't lay out specifically, you know, you need a note from your your pastor or but you know, that's that seems pretty standard, right? Or you need a note from your rabbi, but what about if you have uh, very different religious beliefs? So so there are clearly some some loopholes in this. What is the at your school right now? I mean, when you talk to to people that are planning on going back in the fall, are they saying that they, this bothers them or are they saying they're just gonna get vaccinated, they don't really care? I mean, what is sentiment like on campus about this? Well, I would say the social shaming for not getting the vaccine is extremely high at my school. I go to a very left-wing college. Um, there are people who will privately message me and say, hey, let's start a petition. I don't wanna get the vaccine. What can I do? Um, but those are those are people who are not public about it. Um, I think that you know, this is what, what, what I think is the scariest thing about these, these vaccine passports in colleges is that they are starting to really replicate you know, communist Chinese social uh, social credit scoring systems, right? I mean, this is like social shaming. If you, if you don't get the vaccine, you might not be able to in-person learning. You might be barred from activities on campus or even living on campus in general. Um, so there are consequences for not following the rules. And it's really starting to look a lot more like China than America. What do you think should be the policy? I mean, if, if you had to lay one out based on the fact that you're actually going to be uh, a student, you are a student and, and going to be heading back uh, to campus, what do you think would be the, the way that colleges could both promote health and, and protect basic medical liberty? Of course, I'm not somebody who's against the, the vaccine in general. I say that especially if you're elderly or if you have comor comorbidities, that you should you should take the vaccine if you want to. Um, but as someone who's a healthy person who who has already had COVID and has antibodies, I want to be able to make that decision for myself. And especially because they're emergency use, I think that it's perfectly in the university's right in place to encourage the vaccine, but not to mandate it, especially because the universities and the big pharma companies who are pushing them are not legally liable if there is any um, negative side effects. And we're already seeing the CDC investigate young people who've taken the COVID vaccine and are now coming out with uh, heart inflammation. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns. Now, uh, just, just curious from what you could give us as a kind of ground truth on campus here, most of your peers are, are they, in your, in your opinion, overly concerned about COVID, not particularly concerned at all? I mean, the college-age people that you're spending time with and who are thinking about going back for in-person learning, do they think that a lot of these policies are absurd or, or are they gonna be showing up with, with triple masks on their face? You know, it's it's actually sad to see that, that there are so many students who are so deathly afraid of COVID. I would say that there's many students we're very, very afraid. They're double masking, and it's really absurd. And it's really, I, I think, a disservice to them because they've been they've been told a lie that they're not that people in our age group. If, if you don't have pre-existing conditions, you are more at risk of dying of pneumonia or the common flu than you are of COVID-19. Um, and actually, on top of that, you're actually more likely to die if you're in my age group from suicide than you are 
from COVID-19 and these lockdowns that the universities and the federal and state governments have mandated on young people have, we know have made uh, suicide and depression rates skyrocket. So if they really cared about well-being, um, they, would li- they, would, uh, they would have never had us under lockdown. Davina Duffy, good piece in The Federalist. Thanks so much for joining us and good luck to you back on campus. Thanks so much. Yet another Democratic governor was busted for breaking their own COVID-19 regulations. No surprise there, we got that story and more in Quick It's up next. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now at 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer apologizes after getting caught breaking her own COVID-19 rules. Where have we seen this before? A lot of places, of course. And Canada is issuing fines for shaking hands, eh? Yep, let's get into tonight's quick hits with it first. Governor Whitmer, Governor Halfwit, among the worst governors in America, period, but certainly among the very worst when it comes to COVID-19 lockdowns and response to the pandemic. She has been beyond awful. Uh, She was very draconian, insistent. You know, oh, yeah, you better lock down or else, oh, gosh, or else everyone's just going to get this COVID. And so listen to me. But then we found out that it turns out she doesn't really know what the heck she's talking about. And that Michigan had a surge recently when other states were doing just fine. And they were open states where they had no mask mandates and open businesses. So why the extreme draconian lockdowns for Whitmer? She never felt the need to justify any of it. She never thought that she actually had to prove any of this or show you with data why what she was doing worked. It was do this because I said so. One of the problems we keep seeing all throughout the pandemic with Democrats who take that approach is that in time, it is almost inevitable, it seems, the people that are telling you because I said so, don't think that those rules apply to them. Here's Governor Whitmer apologizing after violating Michigan's COVID rules. Throughout the pandemic, I've been committed to following public health protocols. Yesterday, I went with friends to a local restaurant. As more people arrived, the tables were pushed together. Because we were all vaccinated, we didn't stop to think about it. In retrospect, I should have thought about it. I'm a human. I made a mistake and I apologize. No, she's just apologizing because she got caught. If you are best known across the country for being the strictest governor when it comes to COVID-19 lockdowns. Really as strict as anybody, perhaps more so even than Cuomo and Newsom. Don't you think you'd be a a little bit more careful about this in a public setting, breaking the rules about social distancing inside a a restaurant like this, having a big group, more than six is the, you can't have more than six. She had 12. It wasn't like she had seven, she had 12. 
whole bunch of people. Now, I'm here to say that she's a loon, and because people are vaccinated, if she, assuming what she's saying is true, which might also not be the case, but because she's telling us that all these people are vaccinated, they should be, there's 50 people. They should all be able to be, it's not a big deal. But she makes it a big deal, and she should have to live with the same rules that she enforces on everyone else and deal with the same nonsense that she puts everyone else through. TikTok. TikTok is a, a social media platform where the youth does a lot of dance moves. Yeah, they get funky, a little side to side, a little all that. And uh, that's a thing that happens there. There's also, though, increasingly political stuff appearing on TikTok. For those of you who haven't seen this, you'll see people doing commentary, political commentary on TikTok. And there's a mom who is upset on TikTok that her son is a white male. She's angry about this. So she is making sure that her son is brainwashed with woke books so he won't grow up to be awful, which is the assumption she is making about him because he's a white male and this appeared on TikTok. Here's what it looked like. Hi there, my name is Sarah. This little cutie is my son, Bennett. As you can see, my son is a white male. So here are some books that I bought to help prevent him from growing up to be awful. Starting out strong, we have C is for consent. Um, pretty self-explanatory, but it's a picture book that goes into detail about consent with your body, with family. Along that same note, we have Will Ladybug Hug, teaches the same kind of concept and in a more childish way about a ladybug who um, is hugging his friends, even has one friend who doesn't like hugging. So this one is called Only For Me, also same concept, teaching kids about consent and things that feel comfortable with their body. Because I'm raising a feminist, we've got A is for Awesome, 23 Inspirational Women. Next we have I Clean Like Daddy. There's even a page in the end where the whole family is cleaning together to show that it's not just mom and sister's job. Finally, we have Except When They Don't, a book about um, boys and girls liking whatever they want, regardless of their gender. I mean, she's a parent. She can indoctrinate her kid however she wants, but I don't even know what the hug thing is about. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Little kids trying to hug people was a problem, but apparently it's a problem. Uh, liberalism today, woke liberalism is a disease of the brain, unfortunately. It's very hard to see it as anything other than that. I'm just hoping a lot of people get the help they need. Police in Canada. You think of Canada as being a very friendly place, speaking of hugs, but you can't even handshake there anymore. Not in the era of COVID. They will actually give out tickets for, that's right, they'll give you a fine for shaking hands. How's it going, man? Officer Dietrich, City of Hamilton bylaw. I have you here in violation of the reopening of Ontario Act, yep. gathering with a crowd of more than five people. So that's a pre-written ticket again, just for the record? I had the uh, ticket made up inside when I saw you out here. So what were they doing exactly when I was talking to one of the protesters here? walking around, getting within three meters. Oh, that's how it is. Well, so if I just talk to someone, that's within two meters? I also watch you shaking their hands. Oh, that's, that's oh, I guess I'm breaking oh. the law there. Okay, you got me there. So Great. this is a ticket. Now this is an administrative penalty notice. Oh, for, for what? Yeah. This is for shaking hands with the public. No way. Fail to maintain a distance of at least two meters from another person. So that's purpose. That's strictly just for shaking hands with someone. For shaking hands, not maintaining two, two meters from the It's honestly hard to believe that's real. That comes from Rebel News up in Canada. I, I watch it. I say, is that, is that an actor? It's apparently, I mean, I had a hard time believing that, that they would really turn the cops into hall monitors like that in Canada, but apparently they do. We'll update it if that changes. 
That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high, everyone.